When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. Still feels new saying that. Anyway, I hope you are all having a great week so far, getting ready for the weekend coming in. I know I am. The weather is just only getting warmer from here, and I love it. Um, Wanted to take a couple minutes and talk about the last episode I just posted with my mom. There was... A lot of great feedback, um, and I really appreciate those that reached out to say you know what they liked or whatever about the episode, and that includes even some of the dissenting opinions. And I mean that because I think it's important for you know one of my favorite quotes is from Arthur Brooks, who's a, a columnist, uh, I believe for. Uh, well, actually, he does a few different outlets. I think I know he's in the Atlantic, and I'm sure, pretty sure he's written in the New Yorker as well. Anyway, really great mind, Arthur Brooks. <clears throat> he said, "We don't need to disagree less. We need to disagree better," and that's what I've seen. And I, I really appreciate that. And there are a couple of people that came forward disagreeing that I wanted to share because I think it's important to highlight kind of what the other the other perspectives might be. So one of these came in the form of a Facebook comment from a friend of mine that I haven't really seen since the BYU days. I think I've run into him a couple times. Really nice guy. I've always really enjoyed my interactions with him and his wife. And um, it's, it's just, it was great hearing from him. Now he had some disagreements and he said, uh, specifically one of my mom said that revelation from God has never been wrong. And he said, I'm not sure what you consider revelation, but here's a quick list of things that were taught by church leaders in official capacity multiple times that were later changed. To me, that shows they were in error, but you might see it differently. And he lists blacks in the priesthood, use of birth control, children of LGBT policy, Adam-God doctrine, what translation means in the reference. Anyway, he just goes through and makes some points, not, not to discredit him. I just didn't want to get too into the list because I responded to parts of it, and I'm going to share my response here in a second as well. But I first want to emphasize that my friend here was very, very civil. I really appreciated his approach, and I think it's really valuable when you discuss these things. But anyway, I responded and said, I appreciate the nice words. As far as your point goes, I probably have to flesh this out a little bit more. I haven't actually done that yet. Um, He hasn't asked me to do it either, but it is good to think of these things in the right way. And so I said, it might be possible that policy isn't always tied to revelation. This may or may not address the children of LGBTQ parents in 2015, but I'm also unfamiliar with the official statement, whether they use the term revelation or not. And I actually looked it up part of that statement and there really wasn't any specific word used that this is doctrine this is revelation and then i said one other quick point is that revelation could be right for a time and then it is real that those have now changed and one of those examples is blacks and the priesthood now he did listen he said there is something about what the church has said in their statement that has even kind of made some sort of admonition that 
even their timing was off and that it was more societally based. And I'd have to look into that a little bit deeper. But um, I'm just offering perspective of how a lot of people might look at these things was the big thing. Um, But more than anything, this is just kind of a, a way of looking at it because I think the overall conversation that we're having and this is what he had all, he'd responded. He said, I think it boils down to what is considered doctrine versus policy versus revelation versus prophets speaking as men. I don't believe the church has officially defined that. And I think that's a fair assessment. I, I think I think the, the general authorities kind of leave it up to us sometimes to determine. I think that's why President Nelson has said it's really important that we all, you know, aspire to have our own personal revelation. I think that's just one, um, one more reason why we need that. Because at the end of the day, the church has its doctrine, and then they have their policy. And then church culture fits in there somewhere as well. And a lot of people conflate a lot of those things. In fact, I had a conversation with a really close friend of mine who I work with all the time. And he, he brought up the similar points. And I really think at the end of the day, it just comes down to where do you want to put your faith in the most? And that's what we all have to ask ourselves. Do we want to put it into our religious dogma and ideology in that respect? Or do we want to put it in something else, right? Do we want to put kind of what we were talking about in the last episode with my mom? Do we want to put more of that faith in science or whatever else? And it just comes, it's all very personal. It's a personal decision. And I think that's one of the major discords between how some people look at things versus others when it comes to when the church makes decisions. Because there is an administrative perspective there. And I don't think God necessarily says I want say in every little decision you make for your church here on earth. I think he leaves it up to us, leaves it up to the general authorities to make a lot of those decisions. And I think that's no more evident than in the Doctrine and Covenants itself that says it is not meet that I should command in all things. So when that happens, obviously the church is going to have to go out on a limb. They're going to have to make their best guess or their how the, the what they think they can do that'll be the best for the most people. But obviously, that's going to lead some people on the wayside, and it's unfortunate. And, you know, we should all try our best to be as welcoming as possible in any respect. But that's a lot easier said than done. And I have not really been one of those people, So, and I can acknowledge that. So anyway, I feel like I'm getting a little bit tangential here. I'll go ahead and let this episode uh, get going. Uh, Chase makes a comeback. We did it more kind of in person, which was new for us. Uh, we haven't done that in a long time. Um, I am very humbled by all the support I've received. Thank you so much for those that have reached out and have taken the time. That's It's not easy to sit down for an hour or wherever and, and listen to somebody talk. And so thank you again. That's very, very kind. I appreciate it. I hope you all are doing well. Uh, this episode, Chase and I get into a little bit of uh, back and forth with just kind of how it is for in Chase's experience dating outside of Utah versus dating in Utah. I know this isn't a dating podcast, but there were a lot of actual church culture like and, and kind of we threw out some questions there, like what the difference is between members of the church and non members of the church, how they look at dating, how they look at marriage, things like that, and why it is that it seems like a lot of the evangelicals have zero interest in dating a specific specifically members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. And then we get into other a lot of other things, and I, I feel like you'll find a, a light, nice little uh, step back from from heavier topics, such as last the last episode. Anyway, hope you all enjoy it. Mormons are my favorite. They're my favorite. Yeah, okay. They're absolutely yeah. my favorite. All Mormons are nutty Mormons. Mormons are the nicest cult of all time. 
beautiful, and these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. Just being a Mormon's nutty. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. My favorite religion is Mormons. They're the nicest people. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, back with us again uh, as, you know, most regular guests we have on this show. You're not even really a guest, let's be honest. Uh, Chase has joined us, but this time live instead of via Colorado. He's in town just for a day, basically. So while he's here, I figure we can sit down and sit together and talk person to person and make it way better. Yes, this is live at the time it was recorded. And live now. It's live. It's happening while you're listening to this. People are listening to us right now. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. No matter when you're listening to this, we are live. Isn't that how it works? <laughs> yeah, that's always how it works. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a good uh, Dimitri, Mar- Dimitri Martin special where his the title is Dimitri Mar- Martin Live, and then in parentheses, at the time. <laughs> Dimitri Martin's funny. He's not around a whole lot these days, it seems like. No, but he's got a good, like, just, like, kind of nerdy, witty humor. Absolutely. Yeah. He's like, he was really well known for playing the guitar while he did stand-up comedy, oh, yeah. basically, right? Yeah. He was in a big... He was in... Actually, a lot of the people listening to this podcast have probably seen him without even realizing it somewhat recently, like, within the last year. Because I think Contagion, that movie, has you know been repopularized obviously because of the pandemic over the past year and i watched it again because i was like oh this kind of seems fitting and demetri martin's in contagion he's a oh. very small role but he's in it he's like a he's like one of the cdc guys that works in a lab like i remember seeing him in a in like one of those big suits that, like hazmat suit did he, he say anything funny or nope it, not at all but he weird. looked funny in it he's just a funny looking guy <laughs> And a funny-looking guy in a funny-looking hazmat suit is still just funny. Yeah, kind of like Bill Burr in Breaking Bad. Yeah, that makes no sense. <laughs> Except yes, he he's good, great he, in it. He did a great job. He yeah. really does. Yeah. In fact, his role was fitting for what he had to play. Like, he had to kind of play this, obviously, this bad dude, but light-hearted bad guy, I guess. Yeah, it was like, it was sort of funny. His role had some, some yeah. kind of level of humor to it. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Anyway... Um, I was curious, Chase, before we kind of dive into things here and hit some of the few topics that we have, uh, did you happen to hear the experience I had buying that Kazuki just for one person though, but not telling the person that I bought it from that was only for one person? Well, I can't be one to talk because I, I may or may not have at one point in my life eaten an entire pumpkin pie in one sitting by myself. That said though, the one, the one opportunity you missed out on with this situation was you didn't sit down right there in front of this girl and eat with both spoons. <laughs> I do have two hands. <laughs> that would have been quite the, quite the scene. Yeah. Oh, geez, that would have been even more sad. And I just can only imagine what she was thinking, but, or would have thought, um, wait a second, a whole pumpkin pie. Are we talking Costco pumpkin pie? No, this was a, this was more of a grocery store pumpkin pie, but it was an entire pumpkin pie. Not quite as impressive as a Costco, although I might be able to, if, if you paid me, I might be able to pull off an entire Costco pumpkin pie. That's insane, dude. You would you would throw it up though. Probably, although I will say that you know since age eighteen, I have only thrown up a total of twice um, over the last fifteen years, and so that would be breaking quite a streak there. But I probably would throw it all up. Twice? When were those times? Eighteen when I was on the uh, playing football in high school. We were running hills um, outside of Alta. Ah, those will get you. And I threw up there, and then I went ten years, threw up once when I was like twenty seven, twenty eight, and haven't thrown up since. How'd you go through your mission without throwing up? Drink lots of Coke. 
killed all the. I don't. I don't, I don't know if there's anything to that medically. I should know, I but don't think yeah. so. But who it worked, knows? It worked out for me. So, dude, I threw up like I threw up t- two different occasions on my mission. On one of those occasions, I threw up like seven times throughout the night. Like once every hour, it seemed like it was rough. Yeah, and I think there have been situations where I could have thrown up, but I just hate throwing up so much Same that I, I was willing to suffer through the nausea to not have to experience the dry heaving and the disgustingness of of having vomit in, t- in your entire oral cavity so just... have you ever met somebody that doesn't mind throwing up i mean nobody likes throwing up i think that's safe to say but is there anybody out there that's like yeah i don't mind throwing up nobody says that i've no. never seen that no it was kind of it, it's it, it would put a disgusting picture in your mind of you wouldn't you wouldn't want to kiss someone who throws up a lot you well okay it, there's a difference between throwing up a lot and someone not minding when they do right they still might not throw up a lot yeah. but if they don't mind it that still to me is a little bit strange like envisioning them throwing up and then smiling afterwards <laughs> yeah i guess that wasn't you, bad. maybe you get used to it we are deviating too much yeah. we, need to, <laughs> we need to shift topics by the way um but anyway that's interesting twice since you're since 18 Yep, and only really once since 18, because that's the start date. Yeah, that is the start date. So it's been once over the last 15 years. Compared to you, I've thrown up way too much. But anyway, um, so you're back here. You're you're considering your options when it comes to your next location, which will happen Mm -hmm. in the next few months. Yep. Yep. You're going to have to make some big life decisions. Yeah, I mean, things are looking up to probably move back to Utah. Um, Either either that's going to be a full-time situation or probably half-time, but... Um, right now it's looking pretty promising. So I probably will be living in Utah full time pretty soon here. Yeah. Exciting, man. Yeah. Um, but through this experience, now this is something I can relate to as well. While you've lived outside of Utah, you've seen kind of the dating perspective outside of Utah versus inside of Utah and just kind of the major contrasts, how tough it is. And there's a couple interesting notes I want to hit on. But the first one being... Dating outside of Utah while still dating members of the church is pretty tough, if I'm not mistaken. If you're not in Arizona or certain parts of California, then yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot out there. And unfortunately, we Mormons are only, what, 2% of the entire population in the U.S. And so, you know, that's that's just not very good odds. And especially when you, see, when you get out of our little Mormon hubs and, and these uh, regions in the Intermountain West, it can get pretty bleak. Now, on the, on the bright side, if you find someone that you're both attracted to each other and there's very little standing in your way of making it work, on the other hand, you're dealing with a very small pool. I mean, you're you're, stick, you're throwing a fishing line into a puddle and hoping to catch something. And... Yeah, it's tough for a couple of reasons. I actually did date two different girls while I lived in Texas for four years. I don't know how I pulled that off because I haven't even dated two girls since I've lived back in Utah. <laughs> so... That's not true. It depends on what you mean by dating, but I meant like, you know, somewhat serious girlfriends at least. And um, still wasn't easy. The long distance thing just isn't easy in and of itself. But then outside of that, trying like when you whenever you come back to Utah just to visit or whatever. Honestly, I'm in the I'm in the camp that it's basically pointless unless you have an end goal there. Like if you're just here for a week or two weeks at a time no like girls will say yes to dates because who doesn't want a free meal but other than that like the chances of you actually something materializing is almost zero yeah well the problem is is you show up and if you've got like a week to make it happen 
you you almost have to get overly aggressive and trying to lock that in and and by doing so you make yourself kind of unattractive because the reality is when you in real life when you meet someone it's probably going to take like a week and a half two weeks to finally like have the conversation organically get to the point where you're like, yeah, let's go on a date and so if you're trying to accelerate that process it, it kind of puts you in a losing position comes across as desperate yeah it does and uh and then the other issue is it's just like yeah they have a million guys that live here why would they want to invest their time into you who doesn't live here they, they live in the promised land of mormon dating what 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 do you bring to the table that's going to make you so desirable while living several states away you know it's just it's it's a tough it's a tough gig unless you're a permanent resident here how do you separate yourself from the pack, man? That's the age-old question, right? With that said, you've also, you took note of something recently that I thought was interesting. Um, I'm not sure we have a solution for it. I mean, granted, I don't think I have a solution for almost anything, but um, you noted that conservative girls outside of Utah, like, which tends to be the religious types. Yeah seem to be more zealous about their conservative beliefs than girls that are members of the church living in Utah. And they may be conservative, but you wouldn't really know. And there actually are plenty that still aren't, maybe not define themselves as conservative or at least very conservative or they kind of consider themselves moderate, however they define that. I don't know. But I don't know. You made you made a reference to that recently, and I thought that was interesting because there does seem to be some truth to the fact that female members of the church don't tend to be very vocal about where their politics lie. Yeah. and Which I'm not saying they need to. I, I, I want to clear that up. Like, I'm not even very vocal. I mean, people, people who talk to me in conversation are very well aware, but it's not like I'm sitting there spouting it on social media. Sure. So. Yeah, I think, um, I think part of that's just, a, it's more that conservatives outside of our church tend to be a, large, a lot of them tend to be evangelical Christians. Mm -hmm. And I think culturally they are more uh, vocal and more, uh, I, I don't know what the word would be, more. they have more um, confidence. Well, in, they're the ones shouting amen in the middle of sermons. Yeah, yeah. So and, 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 that's and, kind of what you mean. And they tend to be, you know, the big Trumpers and the... I just think there's a little bit more um, hubris in in their beliefs than, than than LDS have. I think I think there's some like weird built-in, I don't know if it's genetic or what it is, but LDS seem to have a lot of insecurity about how other people feel about them. And I think it's almost it's almost like a complex LDS people have where we're constantly worried how we are viewed by the world. And I think that makes us a little bit more inclined to socially conform and, and want to fit in with the, the bigger group. And I think we're less likely to stand out with uh, how strongly we feel. And I think, you know, not to make it a men and women thing, because I think both of them are susceptible to this, but I think women tend to be more community-oriented than men and are less likely to feel inclined to stand on their own intellectual island. Uh, I think women feel more comfortable kind of being around a group and kind of blending in with their group to a degree, and so I think that's part of it too. But Seems like it could be an overgeneralization. Sure. But I don't know enough necessarily to kind of combat that. But um, one thing that came to mind as you were talking is that it's possible that kind of evangelicals, maybe they're more prone to conflating their political beliefs and their religion. 
kind of making them the same. That their yeah. political beliefs do become their religion to some degree, and that's why they're touting it as much as they do. And maybe members of our church approach that differently, and they say, not to say one way is better or right or wrong, but just that maybe that's the difference, that they think my religion is my religion and my politics are my politics. Now, it's hard to not have a Venn diagram between those two things and think, this is what I believe in religious-wise. This is my ideology versus this is my political ideology, and this is what I believe in from a politics perspective and what policy should be and all that stuff. And where those two things obviously intersect and what that looks like and everybody's Venn diagram is going to be very different, obviously. But I wonder if that's part of it. Is that if that intersection is just a lot bigger for like an evangelical Christian between their political beliefs and their religious beliefs? Yeah, I would say so to a degree. But I also noticed um, the second they find out you're Mormon, they, 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 it, it like flips some switch and they just they want nothing to do with you anymore. Because I, I kind of tested those waters. You, know, you live out in. When I lived down in Colorado, there just wasn't an LDS scene to speak of, unless I lived in Denver, but I didn't. And so, you know, I tested those waters. I'd go out with kind of evangelical Christian girls that seemed to have some good stuff going for them. Just not, not necessarily like abandoning the, the, the desire to date someone in the Mormon church or anything, but just, you know, you get bored and you still want to go on dates, even if you're not like This surrounded. is quite the disclaimer. Do you think your mom's listening or something? What? <laughs> no, no, no. Why you? Why you branched out outside no, no, of the church? I've, I've told my parents I've gone <laughs> out with non-LDS girls before, but um, but it's so funny because they the, the second they find out you're Mormon and that you're actually like planning on staying Mormon, it's just a, such a turnoff for them, and it's just like it flips this weird switch where like, regardless of how much your values align, and a lot of times like Christian Mormon or evangelical Christian and LDS values align very much, pretty much to the point where they're indistinguishable. Well, especially and, relative to the rest of the world. Yeah, and, and but they find out you're Mormon, and it's like, nope, can't do that. My pastor said that you guys are bad, and that, that, that's the end of the discussion. I don't want to know anything else, and that's it. Do you think it's possible they'd be more inclined to date somebody on the opposite side of the political aisle than a, than a member of the church? I would almost say they might, yeah. I would. I, I think the Mormon things are just such a – it short circuits their brain. When they find out you're Mormon, it's just, nope, not happening. Now, that's interesting. Yeah. Not all of them, but there there are some. There are I was going to say, have you ever had an experience where you weren't like immediately rejected, essentially, when that came to light? Um, and well, I wouldn't even say it was rejected because it's like I wasn't necessarily all in on it either. It's just like you go on a date and it's like, oh, we had a good time. We're attracted to each other. Oh, but you're Mormon. Oh, but you, and you really want to be Mormon. So I don't know if I can really, I don't know if I can really say much about that. That may speak to, so obviously there's going to be a few variables, and one of which that we're somewhat aware of, or at least we hear enough stories about, who knows how widespread it is, of the pastor specifically saying that those Mormons are evil or whatever, and that the Book of Mormon is the devil's book and things like that. You hear those stories. I don't think they're that widespread. It doesn't help that in 2008-ish you get someone like Huckabee saying that from, in the middle of a Republican primary debate, saying that, Mitt Romney's church believes that Christ and the devil are brothers. Yeah, you get deep in the doctrine. That's actually true um, from a theology perspective. Uh, there's there's a lot more layers and nuance to that whole idea, so you kind of hate putting it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but once you ex actually explain our doctrine and the origins of all of us, our spirits and things like that and how we were created, it actually adds up perfectly in my mind. Anyway, um, so that doesn't help. You hear those stories. But I wonder if another major variable in all this is the idea that they've 
had experience with enough members of the church that they are pretty well aware that members of the church really only want to either date members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or get married in that church, which would require their significant other to convert. Yeah. And so they're just kind of like, I'm just not interested in that. And maybe they'd be more interested in somebody of another faith because they're like, well, at the end of the day, you know, we're all born again. I don't even really know how it works. And a lot of those people are non-denominational Christians. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but a lot of people claim to be non-denominational Christians, meaning that they're not Baptist, they're not um, Methodist, right? They're Or Church of Christ. Like they're actually, they literally don't have a denomination, but they believe in Christ and they've accepted Christ into their life is how they put it. And I don't know how that plays out, they even get baptized into non-denominational uh, congregations. Um, I don't know how that plays out from like a lifelong perspective if they were to come across a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and think, well, I've already been baptized. I don't need that. I don't know. I don't know how that works out. I've been to one of their churches. I had a lot of fun there. Extremely nice people. I went with friends of mine and I had a good time. And they were, these friends of mine, just amazing salt of the earth type people. I love them. But anyway, I'm getting a little bit tangential, but that's perhaps another yeah. variable to well, it as it, well. Yeah, and maybe they just have more long-term vision with that and they just see in the, in the end it would it would just wouldn't work out. And the reality is people have a very strong pull to stick to their roots, to stay loyal to their roots. It's, it's a part of every person's psyche I, th I think it's it's a very powerful pull that you want to stay within the, the the culture that you were brought up in uh, some people break out of that but it's so let me ask you this does it seem like it could be hypocritical that you and i who serve missions for our church that we are there trying to essentially convince people that what they were born into wasn't right now i don't want to say was wrong because that's it's not that binary, right? I believe that there are, are tons of Christian churches out there that are full of wonderful people that will have just as much of a chance as any of us in our church to have this shot at eternity, as we call it, um, or as we refer to it. But that's why I would, instead of saying wrong, that there's like a more correct answer, is how I would put it, right? Our gospel has the most correct aspects to it than any other gospel that exists out there we are the most true form of christ's gospel that's our belief do you think it's somewhat hypocritical to think you know we go out there and try and share that with him not that part obviously that's we're just trying to share this joy that we believe that we possess right but the other aspect being we would like we are very hard to convert traditionally to other religions in fact i think it's more common when a member of the church, I think I saw a stat somewhere, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints leaves the church, they don't join other churches. They generally just stop believing in any kind of religion. And I don't mean to say that they go atheist per se. They may still believe in God, but they don't really believe in organized religion. So it's almost like once they've experienced the gospel from our perspective, they're not as fulfilled. And in fact, Tad Collister did write an article about this in the church news, I believe. And he kind of talks about this and how the gospel from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints actually ruins people if they yeah. reject it because they're not then going to other religions. So that's maybe that's a whole other conversation for another time. But I don't know if the hypocritical is the right way of saying it, but it, it is interesting to think that we're like the chances of us ever changing our beliefs are very, very slim by comparison. But yet we go out and try to convince others to change. Yeah. No, that's a that's a good that's a good uh, point to bring up. I think uh, the the one thing I would say that kind of 
contradicts that to a degree is that at least in my experience, I don't know how your mission was or how other people's are, but it seemed to me that the people that tended to join the church weren't really like steadfast in some other belief. They were kind of lost people that didn't really have like a ideology or much of uh, like a, a coherent religious belief. They, they might've grown up like maybe softly in other religion, but weren't particularly active in those religions. And it's kind of like the people that I saw join the church were more kind of, the church was their first real experience, like being immersed in something fully. And, uh, and so I don't know if it was so much convincing them to leave their faith and join ours more than it was like, hey, here's a religion you can join. And they say, yeah, it sounds good to me. Mm. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Who knows, I guess. Yeah. But it's an interesting question nonetheless. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. And that's why I like doing it. I like posing these questions that I can't answer in the moment. And who knows if I'll ever answer. And I write down questions like that all the time. But anyway, uh, you wanted to talk about something else from what I understand. Yeah, so something came... I think maybe I'm just a psychopath. Yeah, but, well, we already know that. So something came up on Twitter the uh, the other day, and I saw it make the rounds. I saw... Um, uh, what's that guy's name? The the defensive back that always does talks for BYU, Derwin Gray. He brought it up, and I saw Joel Klatt, who's like another CFB guy. He's um, a former quarterback out of uh, Ohio State. Klatt? Yeah, yeah, I think I you're right. Him? Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah, and so there was a lot well, of like I actually like Joel Klatt. Yeah, a no, lot. I did. Well, he was he had BYU's back last season when everyone was saying, That's "Oh, look at did. their schedule." He was the one saying, "No, BYU should be in the." In the New Year Six. For the record, I liked him even well before that, but yeah, yeah. that helped. Yeah. Uh, Joel Klatt just seems like one of those guys that's very intellectually honest. Like, he doesn't just say what you he thinks you want to hear. He, he actually yeah. believes it. So, and this will be kind of hard because the listeners can't watch this video. They're going to have to look it up to really appreciate this conversation. But there's a video circling around Twitter right now. And it's of the it's it's a drill going. It looks like it's at a Tennessee Titans football camp or something like that. I, I don't really know the context. But there's a video, it's like a 10-second video of... I uh, doubt it's the Titans, by the way. I doubt it's an NFL team that's involved, because if it... Well, they had Titans logos on, but I don't know if that's just some little league that they they use their... Yeah, I'm just saying, yeah. based on the way you said that, it sounds like it come, come, off, come, come across that it's like sanctioned by the Titans. Now, granted, yeah. it could be their logo on somewhere they're involved in there along yeah. the line, but people would be trying to cancel the Titans. Well, that, that that, that, that's what's going on right Are you now. serious? Yeah, yeah. So never so, mind. So, so anyway, this video is two kids. They look like they're probably between 8 to 10 years old. Hard to say. Although, I saw somebody out there say like 5 or 6. No, that's BS. People people forget. They did look little, dude. The thing is, when you go to when you go to a family war now and you see deacons passing the sacrament, they look like they're 3, but they're 12. Okay. They're 13. So like <laughs> so like little little kids look littler as you get older. So these I'm, I'm pretty sure they're 8 to 10 or something in that ballpark, which for our little league experience that would have been like Gremlins, Peewees. So they're doing this tackling drill where they, they have like two lines and one of them's a ball carrier line, one of them's a defensive line. And the one guy gets the ball and they both have to run parallel to each other until they get around these cones. And then it's the, the ball carrier's job to try to avoid a tackle and, and, and the defensive guy's trying to tackle him. And the way they had it set up, the angles were kind of weird. Where they were weird. I remember like it, seeing it, it that. It sort of favored the offense in a way where... But anyway, so you had one kid that was clearly smaller than another. And at that age, like, the size differences can be pretty substantial because, you know, if you weigh 20 pounds more than someone, that's, like, 30% of their body weight. And so you can really, like, lay a lick on someone if you have a small edge in weight. And uh, so the kid with the ball basically just trucked the crap out of this uh, this other little kid he was going against. And 
and the the you know Joel Klott was sharing it, and they were all saying this is completely unacceptable, and how how any coach could allow this to happen, and how you know basically any coach that would do this to lose their job, they don't belong in coaching, and it, there was almost a unanimous response from everyone in these threads that I could find that was agreeing with this take that this was totally inappropriate, unacceptable. And yeah, the video, it's a, it's a violent hit. The kid gets, he gets smashed. trucked, man. But a lot of the criticism was like the coaches should be, you know, they shouldn't be tackling at this age or they shouldn't be, um, the, the coaches should instruct them better on proper form. And it's like, you guys saw a five to 10 second video. You don't know anything that happened prior to that video or after that video this it's so 2021 to see a five second clip on the internet and know everything about it like that, that that's basically become our culture let's find videos and get outraged about things we know zero context about and know zero of the circumstances surrounding it and let's assume we know everything because we're all little mini experts on our on our iphones and so everyone's just wanting to like destroy this coach, cancel this coach, and people are like trying to figure out who he is, and it's just this giant thing. And I'm like watching this, and I'm like, that looked like a typical football practice for me when I was that age. Like we would all we would do these drills all the time, and sometimes people would get laid out. And these little guys, hopefully, after this happens to them enough times, they figure out that you got to go low, you got to take good angles, and they learn not to get their head smashed in again. And yeah, it's it's hard to watch a little kid get destroyed like that. I'm not saying like, oh, I, I like watching little kids get destroyed. But I'm watching this and I'm like, we don't know if the coach necessarily taught them wrong. For all we know, the coach gave him good instruction and the kid just didn't know how to do it. And he got laid out because he didn't follow the instructions. And I just think it's not so much that it's wrong that people are mad about the drill or mad that this happened, but it's like, more like assuming that you know all the circumstances there is what bothered me about that the reaction there which i think is an overall principle i understand that because we do live in the world where it's like two seconds could end your life like and and not not in the literal sense but i mean like cancel you and that's it and people mm -hmm. don't have zero context and everything so obviously i'm want to be careful of that just in any regard and i'm always i'm always skeptical when when people are you know applying the same terms of ending employment for people to any clip they see of two second videos or whatever you know and so I, I understand that for sure but let's let's nail down what we do know we do know that these kids are somewhere in the range from six to ten you don't think six at all I don't think ten um, I'd be fine like kind of compromising around eight but yeah, well, that's the standard. I mean, I know in Utah, that's the standard of when tackle football even starts is eight, Ten? eight, eight years eight. old. Okay, and so you can do gremlins at eight and nine, then gotcha. Pee-wee's ten years old. So okay. yeah, gremlins. That's funny. But anyway, <laughs> um, so let's just say for the sake of the argument, they're around eight years old, right? Um, we see an eight-year-old get nailed pretty hard by and another eight-year-old. By another eight-year-old. Eight Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's important. That's about all we know we know there's parental supervision we know they're running a drill so one thing i do want to point out is that the parent who signed their kid up for this is should be hopefully fully aware and willing to accept the fact that their kid is susceptible to a hit like this at any given time so if the parent is upset, then I take issue with that because I'm like, you know what the kid signed up for. I mean, you have pads on for a reason. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that 
oh, a helmet's going to protect him no matter what. It's like all very precarious still, but that parent can't be mad. So my guess is that that parent isn't mad. My guess would be that the parents are pretty well aware um, that there is a situation that this could happen in any situ- in any given situation. Now, what I am... What I don't like is that the general public tends to just insert themselves into all this and blow it up to 11, right? But it's not a good look. We know that. It looks like a bad hit. You're the doctor here. So that's what makes this even more interesting in my mind is that you're, you're no neurosurgeon, but you're at least more familiar than your average person by far. I mean, what could, what could a hit like that do to an eight-year-old kid? I mean, that's, that's an interesting conversation to me just in general because that, then you start to kind of get to the point of the complaints at least potentially well yeah but that's more of an argument against kids that age playing tackle football sure yeah no and that's what i'm saying is that like they should it's not they they shouldn't i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna die on this hill you shouldn't say they shouldn't do drills like that you should say football shouldn't happen at that age well yeah because what happens in a game like in a game situation that scenario could occur right it's not like the kid with the bigger kid with the ball is gonna be like oh i'm gonna take it easy no for sure and that's And I think for the most part, you are seeing people that their argument is kids that young shouldn't be playing football. And that's, I think there's an argument to be made there. I, I have no problem with the argument that kids that age should probably wait until, or, or maybe these, these football leagues need to take size and ability more into account, more so than age, because kids develop at different ages. And especially at that age, some kids figure out their bodies a lot faster than others. And they, they're able to use their bodies as weapons a lot sooner than others. And this kid clearly didn't know what he was doing. I mean, he, he basically took a charge, you know, stood himself straight up and put himself right in the path of a guy who was a lot faster and stronger than him. No better way to learn, let's be yeah. honest. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there is a fair argument to be made. Let's not let's stop making eight and nine-year-olds play tackle football. But the idea that it's the coach's fault this happened, well, you signed your kid up for this. So Yeah, that I can get behind. Yeah. That I can get behind that it's like, let's not cancel anybody for this. Like, yeah. this, this exists and it is widespread. Yeah. So let's not cancel anybody for participating in this. Let's not go after the Titans for allowing this somehow being associated with this and whatever. I mean, let's just yeah. be sure we know which battles we're picking. And if that's a hill you want to die on that kids that young shouldn't play football in general, then sure. Try and advocate for that. Good luck. I don't know if they'll pull it off. Whatever. Yeah. But I will say that the one thing that people were kind of mad about, and I think is a fair complaint, is there seemed to be this idea that the coaches were kind of enjoying watching this like there was some laughter in the background whether that came from a coach or a parent but it sounded like they they kind of enjoyed seeing this kid get blown up which in that case i kind of understand the anger about it but then i think sure, i yeah. think back to when i played and that kind of those kind of reactions happened all the time when someone yeah, got blown up when you get the when you get when you get hit like that yeah. and you have a reaction of people either laughing at you or being concerned about you, whatever. If people laugh at you in that situation, you have two options. You can quit football then, right then and there, forever, or you can get up and do better. Yeah, <laughs> there really at, isn't any in between. Rudy Rudiger, man. Like, <laughs> that guy, and now he's a Mormon. And uh, Yeah, I heard he's a member of like eight churches. Yeah, so maybe we should. I heard that guy's <laughs> gotten baptized in like tons of different religions. Well, hey, he's, he's still Mormon <laughs> one way or another. Yeah, sure. He's in our records. That's right. That's true. It's a great movie, by the way. It is a great yeah. movie. I agree. Yeah. We can get in a whole debate at some point whether what's better, Hoosiers or Rudy, which you and I probably both say Rudy, but my two brothers say Hoosiers, which yeah. I always thought was sort of boring. But anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting as well. Um, but kind of closing closing things up here, we did want to 
address it. Unless you had anything else to cover before we get into some BYU topics here, real quick. No, we can go into BYU, man. I'm I'm good with that. So we haven't discussed this, but Wilson obviously went number two. <laughs> That's a, I didn't mean to say it that way. <laughs> he, he probably did go number two at some point during the, since the podcast, since the draft started. I hope he did. Um, for his own from medical, a medical perspective, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, he went number two in the NFL draft, and um, but, which was obviously suspected. There's no surprise there. He also subsequently sold his soul. I noticed. Did you notice that? Just all the the promotions he was posting and the hashtags and all what that. was that one that Verizon family or something like that? What did they pay him, like forty thousand dollars for that or something? I don't know, yeah. but it was some of the most cringy stuff. So I started throwing out all my own tweets and saying Verizon family. I just wanted a piece of the pie. <laughs> well, you should get a kickback on right. That. That's what I figured. Yeah. But um, and he takes this picture of himself. Well, he, he didn't. It wasn't a selfie, but somebody takes this picture of himself looking in the mirror at himself yeah that's pretty cringe and it was about like some advertisement for verizon that he put out on twitter and i'm just like we've already started like we've already started just like openly just these endorsements are going full force now i don't blame him just because that's the world we live in he but, wants to make money yeah. yeah sure go for it but i hated that picture so much it reminded me so much of jim acosta looking at himself in the mirror and like doing his tie and there's the way he's smiling at himself is like he no joke it looks like the man wants to kiss himself yeah social and, media has made people pretty a, a lack of self-awareness with how cringe some of that stuff can be i think we people have become kind of numb to it i'm sure i've even fallen yeah. victim to that now yeah. i say victim which is stupid but i'm the perpetrator and the victim yeah. where i've done things where i'm like wait a second what was i thinking here but like the fact like we just live in a society now where braggadocio, so to speak, on social media is not just accepted, it's expected. Well, yeah, and it's, it's the only way to stay relevant. You have to keep telling people that you exist. Well, and we had a, we kind of had a debate about this. This was, I mean, this was a while ago. This is a pre-podcast where you hated the fact that guys would like share their highlight videos on, on Twitter and talk about how many stars they had and how many offers they had yeah. and and they'd be retweeting everybody that's saying, come to our school or whatever. I understand that on its face. It is annoying. It is kind of like, wow, this is some, you are really stroking your own ego, ego here. But at the same time, Gen Z, dude, like that's just, that's a natural fallout. Gen Z, dude, the TikTok generation. Yeah. And this isn't me. I don't want to sound like a get off my lawn guy. I'm just saying that our culture has completely shifted. And this younger generation, not no joke, not only thinks it's not just acceptable, but it's expected that if you want to, thrive in this society that you just gotta show what you're made of however that may come well, and so it's all a part of it your internet profile is far more important than your in-person profile percent here we are having a podcast so, <laughs> yeah. that's listened to on the internet so. that's at least is a conversation <laughs> between two people yeah true yeah but anyway i that is an inter- it's interesting our society has shifted a ton so but yeah wilson good for him honestly well i, I saw a funny uh funny tweet too where this guy got for his wife, BYU fan, got for his wife on Mother's Day um, a shirt, a green shirt, Jets color that said, I guess I'm a Jets fan now. <laughs> <laughs> kind of feels like uh, when BYU fans had to become uh, Sacramento Kings fans for Jimmer. That didn't Oh, happen. 100%. That Dude, I got a Kings well. jersey for Dead oh, Jersey. No. My, my brother bought it for oh, me yeah? for my birthday or Christmas. Pretty sure I don't. I don't know where it is if I do, though. <laughs> Was he number seven on the Kings? That sounds right. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Um,. Yeah, it was way too big for me the whole time, so I like never wore it anyway. Plus, I'm kind of just anti-jersey in general. Yeah, it's kind of lame. 
I don't do that anymore. Jersey. Yeah. Hey, look at me. I mean, when you put your own name on the back instead of the, the player's <laughs> name, it's Bartholomew. <laughs> put me in. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that just, you just seem like one of those guys where it's like once you hear that your local professional team is having a tryout, like there's no question you're trying out. Yeah. You I know? actually had a friend. I, I hate to throw him on, I won't say his name. I had a friend, good, great guy, fantastic guy, and a good athlete. Like I'd say, I'd, I, you know, playing pickup ball with him, he was, in the same realm of skill that I consider myself, um, pretty good athlete. Um, but he, so he legitimately believed he could try out for the Utah jazz. He, he literally, he talked about this, like it was a legitimate plan that he believed that he would have a chance. The jazz don't have tryouts. I know, I know, I know. But if they did, (laughs) if they did, he, so in other words, he had a Jersey with his own uh, last name on the back of it. I'm sure he did because he legitimately believed that he would have a chance to make the roster of the Utah jazz. That's incredible. Six, one guy, decent basketball player. Wouldn't ever make it on a junior college. Even. I can't wait to hear who this is after we're done recording. Yeah. And you uh, will tell me, right? I'll tell you. I don't think you know him, but... I'll pro- okay, good. I'll, say, I'll tell yeah. him in the intro then who it is. Um, Harms is gone. That's the other BYU news. Yeah, I mean... That's I, official I, now. I'm I know, okay I, with it. I know we spent our last podcast kind of trying to talk him up because we thought he was staying after... You did. So, so yeah, yeah. But I mean, you made some good arguments and I accepted yeah. those arguments. I wasn't trying to talk him up, but I was like, he is kind of a go-bear in the sense where he does change the dynamic of every offense they're playing against. Yeah. I just didn't... Offensively, he was he was, he was was a liability, which is also kind of go-bear sometimes. Now, go-bear's gotten mm-hmm. a lot better at that, but um, I just wasn't... I, I didn't gush over Harms. I didn't I didn't I didn't I'm, I was totally sixes on the guy. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I I always really want to root for these guys, these non LDS guys that come to BYU. I really want them to have a good experience, and so I think I get a little ahead of myself, like excusing some of their less than perfect basketball or football, whatever it is. And I I, I kind of tend to be a silver lining guy with these or glass half full. Um, Dude, that's putting it like very conservatively so but yeah got with, the blue goggles sometimes but dude. but here's the thing with harms is i feel like if he if he had come back we would have been making all kinds of concessions like okay you're going to get this many minutes a game we're going to make sure you know we design all these plays to go through you and i think it would have compromised coach pope's ability to coach the team the way he really wants to and so i even though i i'm sure it would have been great to have him back it's kind of nice to not be beholden to some weird you know, the concessions we have to make to a guy to like get convinced him to come back. So in that respect, and also Harward, I feel like he would have been a flight risk had harm stayed because he might've gotten lost in the rotation with the new recruits coming in. So now Harward can come in and have a key role and be motivated to play. So all things considered, I think it's a net zero as far as gain or loss there. I think I'm totally fine with him going. I know I'm contradicting myself, but I have to reframe this whole thing now to yeah. be, have a, take, take a positive spin on I'm it. I'm glad so. you said it and not me. Yeah. It's like yeah. funny, the catch-22 here is that you literally just said, I try to see everything. That's why I was kind of making the case for harms. And now you're literally trying to see everything with that same silver lining again. Yeah, I mean, that's how it is. <laughs> and I think you're kind of, you might be taking a stretch that it like saves Pope from having to like keep him more involved than he wants to. I think Pope has more integrity than that. Not saying that you are saying he's not a man of integrity, yeah. but... I'm of the belief that Coach Pope is like, I'm going to do what's best for the team. And if that means, like, I mean, he kind of did that last year. Like, Harms' Harms's role totally evolved. And in a way that I'm sure he wasn't expecting for mm-hmm. worse, quite frankly. And 
I, I think it was more because Pope was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to win. And that meant giving Harward more time. Mm-hmm. And so, and it worked, you could argue. So I don't think Pope would have fallen victim to that personally, but whatever. I mean, who, who really knows? Are they recruiting other centers? Well, we got the Atiki ally, yeah. Atiki. He's a center. And then you have Harward. And then if, I feel like it would have been hard to keep all those guys happy. And I wonder now with Colby Leaf, he's like, yeah, maybe, maybe I should have stayed. <laughs> Because maybe, maybe he was thinking Harms was going to stay, so who knows? I mean, I'm sure he'll get plenty of PT down there. Is it Dixie or Southern Utah? I think it's Dixie. Dixie. It is Dixie. Yeah. yeah, we already covered that. But Colby Lee, what a what a disappointment, man. Yeah, that guy. He's uh, he's no longer in my he's no longer in my port my stock portfolio. Yeah, it's okay. You win some, you lose some. Fair enough. We got anything else to cover before we take off here? No, man. I think that that about does it for me. Alrighty, well, it's good to see you, Chase. Nice to see you in person. It'll be nice to do this a little bit more often in person. Absolutely. When you move back, if you move back, I'm still figuring that out. So, yeah. Anyway, alrighty. Well, best of luck figuring all that stuff out with your future, man. Thank you. Yeah, good, good, uh, good having you live.